0: Hey, everybody, welcome to the Sharp Tongue Podcast. I'm your girl, Jessie May Peluso. Thank you for listening. I hope you're living, learning, and loving your life. This week, we have a lot of fun stuff going on. Let's see, we've got the YouTube page. Thank you guys so much for all your subscriptions and joining the YouTube channel. It's youtube.com forward slash Jessie May Peluso. Check it out, like and subscribe, tell your friends. Also, I've been making cameos. If you want to send your friend a funny video from me or a heartfelt one, I'll do heartfelt videos. Hit me up on Cameo. It's a cool app where you can uh, book your favorite celebrities, athletes, former meth heads, and they can do videos for you. I think you can even get Carol Baskins. I'm not sure. Don't quote me on that. Not that you'd want that because she killed her husband and, and abused animals, but I'm just saying, if you're a weird person and that's your cup of tea, it's there for you or me. So check it out. Cameo. And also, don't forget to check out Girl Pod with my girl Carly Aquilino. It's our Patreon exclusive podcast and it's available on patreon.com forward slash girl G Y R L. And check it out. We are doing episodes every week as well as a bunch of exclusive content. And we're touring. We will be at the City Winery in New York City October 9th. And we're also going to be in Nashville, Tennessee. I believe, November 18th, 19th, and 20th. You can go to jessimaid.com for tickets. Check it out. Also, my wide open tour continues. So many tour dates available on that. And a couple of you have asked me about my New Year's Eve show in Syracuse, why the tickets aren't alive. Aren't alive. Are you alive? Why the tickets aren't live yet. That's because the club hasn't reopened yet. But the owner has assured me that they will be open within five to six weeks. So at that point, hopefully those tickets will be live and we can add them to the site. As of right now, go to jessimey.com Check out the girl pod on Patreon. Patreon. And also uh, see if I'm coming to see you live in a city near you. And speaking of near you, I'm about to get closer to you with my guest this week. The host of the Mikey Likes You podcast, former addict, current girl dad, Mr. Mike Catherwood. Comedy, how hard it is to make it in this biz. I'm a fucking professional. Each week it's something different. Sometimes I have a guest host. Sometimes it's going to be a movie companion episode. Sometimes I just ramble about the bullshit I dealt with the week before. You never know what you're going to get. It's raw, uncut, and funny. It's me. And we're here. They've already heard the amazing intro. They missed my genuine laugh. They missed, well, they're seeing, if you're seeing this, congratulations. If you're listening, you really should be seeing this because Mr. Mike Catherwood is has a very soap opera background and I'm jealous of it and he's going to give me all his secrets.
1: I will. I promise.
0: <laughs> How are you Mr. Butt Hair McDicknose?
1: <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> I, now that I think about it, I did put that I did put Butt Hair McDicknose as my username. And I was like, "Oh, well that's fine for for Jessamay, but like i completely neglected to think like many other people will see this i probably should have been a little bit more
0: oh thousands grown up. and thousands yeah. of people of people will now know who mr butt hair knows is and, and it's it's a burning question we haven't been able to put a face to him and now that we have it's like looking behind that like curtain it is <laughs> <It's> like banksy <laughs> i need to know one thing because it's pertinent And and pertains to my life right now, um, as I dug through your IG story, you said you've learned how to train and stop getting hurt. What are you doing to do that? Because I am a person who gets hurt, I would say, out of 10 times of my training, at least once, which is too much for me.
1: I think this is a big component of it. And it's so corny and i hate to admit it and i'm so glad my wife is not even in the same state as me right now because she would just be doing so many i told you so's but a lot of it is psychosomatic emotional psychological
0: oh a lot fuck of yeah at least it, look that at least for sense. me at
1: least for me yeah um i just really feel like since i've made the commitment to do the work as far as like the meditation, the gratitude journal, all the stuff that like my hippie wife had been beating me over the head to do for a long time. When I really not for two days here and then take twenty days off and then three days here and ten days, when I really committed to consistently doing stuff like that, getting good sleep, um, ma- magically my back didn't hurt anymore. Um, now that's not to say you know I do do a lot of stuff that puts a lot of stress on my my back and my knees and stuff like that, but my big thing was if you reverse engineer the stuff that typically is hurting people, kettlebell circuits, deadlifts, squats, you know, whatever it may be, you come to quickly realize you're get, in, in any resistance training exercise, you get hurt for two reasons, muscular imbalances or bad form. And it's a kind of a chicken and egg argument of like what comes first, but either way, a perfectly done deadlift, a perfectly done squat, even though they are injury prone, if the form is there, it's bulletproof. So I just had to humble myself and just like really take the weight down and have a lot of people assess and analyze my form. And once I got it to the point that I felt really, really comfortable that it was spot, you know, totally locked down, uh, hurting myself, you
0: know, and slowing down is such a huge part of it. I, uh, first, I want to say, you know, I've had a couple men on this podcast. A couple, <laughs> I've had gentlemen on this podcast, and I, I think it's so important to normalize and destigmatize the usage of gratitude, but also the usage of meditation and journaling. Yeah, it seems like such a chick thing. I know you made, you know, you're yes. talking about your hippie wife. I have a hippie heart too, and only until I started to do meditation and journaling. And being grateful consistently, did I also start to feel less overall chronic pain?
1: Yeah, it's true. And and yeah. it, I will be the first to admit because I am macho to a fault. You know, I'm actually, I it's I'm a weird combination. I think I have my parents to thank for this, and I I'm, I'm actually grateful for it. You know, keeping keeping it apropos of this conversation, but I have this weird, really weird mixture of being like this kind of Kooky, I'm from here from I'm from Los Angeles, born and raised. And I definitely have a lot of like LA progressive, super weird kind of kookiness about me. But in another way, I'm like I'm really, really old fashioned, really macho. And I, you know, my wife cannot drive the car. I have to. If I'm there, I'm driving. I'm the husband. You know, like I have these silly little macho things, but I also there's also the upsides. I mean, I always open the door for my wife and my daughter. I always blah blah blah. So there was definitely it was a hard pill to swallow to journal about my gratitude and stuff like that. Um, but then I, I, you know, I I just kind of took took a step back and I looked at it. I was like, well, yes, okay, you can go and talk about all the flimsy light and the loafers writers there are in the world. But like, let's lest we forget, like Hemingway and and, and you know. Steinbeck, I mean, these are like the manliest guy Kerouac. These are like the manliest guys. So that's just the way I look at it.
0: Yeah. And you know, the fact that you have women in your life, I'm sure it balances balances out your macho, macho, macho man.
1: Pretty quickly. Especially you're a girl, when it's exclusively. Yeah.
0: And I've I have so many questions because honestly you and i really don't know each other i think we we vibed great when we met because you are goofy you're goofy as fuck and you're open and you're honest those are three things that i look for in friends just to be goofy open and honest that's all i want well thank you i mean I, i definitely
1: it's effort you know i don't um the the honest part is the easiest weirdly um because that was all I had to offer anybody. You know, when I
0: transitioned to the point,
1: meaning like professionally I had transitioned to, I got to a point where all the like grinding and editing tape and doing all the stuff in the radio industry, like just grunt work. There was that point where I transitioned into like having a career where people in the industry looked at me as someone who's like, Oh, he's a radio guy. He hosts a syndicated radio show and at K rock, this big thing. And, um, I realized, you know, I sat next, I'd be sitting next to an MD and Dr. Drew every night and I taking the place of Corolla and I'm looking at like what I have to offer the broadcast and I'm like, I'm not a comic. I, I don't really have a showbiz kind of uh, Q factor to offer anybody. I certainly am not a medical professional in any, <laughs> st- I barely graduated high school. Um, so I was like, well, all I can offer you is my, experience and my mistakes and my honesty. And once I, I did do that, it felt really comfortable. I felt like for the first time I was actually without drugs or alcohol, I was really comfortable in my skin. And so that just kind of daisy chained, and life as a whole kind of got a lot easier because of that. So
0: can we talk a little bit about addiction and your life as an addict and what, what do you think? got you into that first of all do you know have you have you identified a source i know it's probably it could be a, a bunch of different things but is that something you're comfortable is. talking about
1: when you talk to the, you know the people who really take the time to objectively study like the chemical aspect the, the biological aspect of addiction um you know it is it's never it, it, it's a, a nice blend of nature and nurture um mm-hmm. almost always there's a genetic component and some people are more vulnerable to it than others I'm Mexican Irish, right down the middle, and you know I don't want to tell anybody else's tales, but I'm have a very nice pedigree of of addiction and, and al- especially alcoholism and on both sides of my family. I mean, I, I I was like invented in a lab to be an alcoholic or, or an addict, so, so the genetic component was there. And I think, um, you know, there was trauma for me in my life, and I don't ever like to get into. Not because I'm ashamed in any way, but more so because I feel like my trauma probably is lower on the hierarchy of trauma. And I know we don't want to do, it's not a competition, but you know, like I, I, I got physical trauma, sexual trauma, that kind of stuff. And then I talked to my friends who like have went to war or my female friends who have been legitimately sexually assaulted or or dare I say even rape and I go okay um I almost want to invent a new word that isn't trauma because like you and your shit shouldn't be described as the same shit as me you know like I could very easily reason with it go to a, med- a psychiatric professional discuss it have kind of these tangible things that I could do to work through it and uh I definitely think though that that was a factor a bigger factor than maybe other things i also think that i don't know about for other people but for me drinking and drugs i i really i dug in i i dove in deep immediately and i really hung on for a long time and i wrote it hard because i was good at it <laughs> i'm serious Who was you it? Know? i was
0: from upstate new york we were great at it too yes yeah. So yeah, I'm sure, winter, you know, like culturally the there's a thing. Yeah, absolutely. Totally. Look at New Yorkers versus people in LA. The types of drugs and the drug usage is so uh, it's so connected to the environment and, and the weather. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And I although I've always been really goofy. I'm like really an immature guy. I don't think like I don't mean that as a pejorative, but I I really am like a very goofy person and I like Childlike things. I've in, in a more serious note, I have a very severe longing for adolescence. Um, so being kind of like life of the party guy was something that I deep down probably wanted, but I wasn't confident or like I was too insecure to be that person. And drugs and alcohol just solved that yeah. so quickly. Like I really was like really a lot more successful with chicks. I was a lot more. A lot more people seem to be interested in me. A lot more people would talk to me. And maybe that was just my behavior, you know, being more attracted to it. But, um, you know, so all those things factored in and it's just like, well, why would I want to stop doing this?
0: <laughs> Getting all this love, this love feels amazing. Yeah. Um, first, I want to touch on your what you were saying about, you know, the levels of trauma. I do think there are many different levels of trauma and I understand what you're saying about. Whatever you experienced versus like whatever I experienced are two different things. But that's not to say the severity of the situation doesn't affect the individual in an individualized way. Meaning, mm. even though yours, comparative to mine or vice versa, may be on a different spectrum, the way it affects you could be detrimental. And so sure. that's just to not downplay what you've been through, because, I, I, you know, I think it is a noble um, conversation to have, but also validation of your shit that you've been through is important for healing. And I, I'm you're a grown man and you seem like an actualized, self-aware individual. So oh. I, you, <laughs> 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 to the for the most part, <laughs> look, the fact that we're fucking talking about this, there's some actualization in there. You, you no, know, what I mean, I mean? Th-
1: that's a good point. I mean, th- even the fact of having comfort talking this way shows something. That's yeah, true.
0: I, I'm a witch. I do this to everybody. <laughs> even that Well, to so,
1: substantiate what you were talking about earlier, I do agree. Like, that's why, and I was talking to Michael Tully um, about it last week when I went into the uh, Jason Ellis show. It's like, I just really like Jessamay. Like, she's really an enjoyable person to be around. And I think that that is definitely a factor. Um, in that there's just some people that provide that comfort to make you feel safe, being honest and open. And and I think that you're one of those people It certainly led to me having a, a much more immediate connection with you.
0: Well, I appreciate that. That honestly, it makes me feel good that, you know, I'm living a way that helps other people have conversations that can help other people have conversations because I think that's the goal. For me, at least right. in podcasting. You said something that I connected with so hard just now. You said a longing for adolescence. Oh, my God. Yeah. Uh, it, 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 and do you feel... Here's my question with that, because it opened up a whole world of emotion for me just in that one sentence. Do you feel now, today, that you are longing for adolescence more than any other time in your life? Or is it something that fluctuates for you?
1: It definitely goes up in waves and um it's better now but probably like three years ago my when my daughter was four four or five ish that was i i got hit with it probably harder than i'd ever been hit with it before um because there was this new added layer of being responsible for a, an actual child like having like almost a little ai of this longing i just like i can look at it right here um and then it got really tough but then i also you know i also started to realize like uh i think it came with the gratitude you know the gratitude journalist i was like well i'm really appreciative for what i have now as an adult so why should i want this time machine you know uh Obviously, I can hold on to the like the positive memories and stuff that makes me happy and go watch, you know, television commercials from 1988 and be like, oh, I remember that. But at the same time, like to to hope, wish, want to go back in time so that I can have something that's clearly now gone. It's uh, it's useless because it's not like I want to go back to right wrongs or I have regrets and anything like that. I just wish I could be in that mind frame where I was so much universally more happy and 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 optimistic and the reality is it's like I can. You know, I don't want to be a kid again because I want to go back into little league or I because I want to, you know, wear overalls or you know, whatever, eat mac and cheese. I want to go back to being a little kid because of the way I felt inside about the world. And it's like, well, just you can do that. Like you really can. There's nobody stopping you. Um and although sometimes it's really fucking hard, especially when society gets a little bit more divisive and angry, uh, you still you can do it. It's it's a it's something that's on the menu for you. You know,
0: it is, and it's it's breaking through. We have to break through the conditioning that we're dealing with, and yeah. the devices, the the human devices and the technological devices combined do not make for a good potpourri of. Uh, you know, a carefree reminiscent moment. It it can be hard for people to access that. Do you think in your sobriety, have you accessed your, you know, juvenile glee a little bit easier or is it still a struggle? Because I would imagine, you know, prior to being, you know, when you're an addict, you get that from the drug. The drug helps you access that whether it's the right or wrong way is up for debate. It's, it's just the way it goes. You get drunk, you get high, whatever it is, you get that feeling in, in your sober life, in your sober living. Now, how do you get that feeling? Cause from my viewpoint, working out is definitely a a huge part of your life. And I wonder if that helps you access that and what are other ways that you access that, that feeling of freedom and, and childhood joy
1: well, I certainly working out is something that has become vital. And not in a way that I think that I've like replaced addictions, but in a way that you know, here's the thing about working out, and and I'm going to get very kind of highbrow meat heady. Do it. Here, I don't but, know if
0: those are bruises on your fingers or nail polish. Oh it? no,
1: this is uh this is my shitty nail polish left over for when my daughter did my <laughs> And see, luck—they would be <laughs> redone because she does them every, like couple times a week. But my daughter and my wife are in Texas, and they have been for the t- last two weeks. So this is just my shitty leftover because I'm not about to go buy a new bottle of nail polish remover to do to use a teaspoon of it. You know what I'm <laughs> saying? Like I was like, "Fuck it," you know? What do I care? Um, but uh, working out has become something really vital for me. It's crucial um, for my happiness, for my well-being. And Here's why. If I worked hard in any other facet in my life, if I accomplished something in any other facet, for the most part, for not, not necessarily in the last couple of years, but certainly for the first 30 years of my life, if I did anything, it was to please other people somewhere down the line. If I worked really hard mowing lawns and pumping gas when I was 15, 16, it was so that I could get a cooler car by myself, a cooler car when I turned 16 and get a driver's license. Now, was that for me to feel awesome and valid? No, it was so I could get laid more. You know what I'm saying? Like somewhere down the line, there was something pushing me to do things. If I got clean in the past, it was not because I wanted to not do drugs. It was because a judge told me, you better fucking get clean or, or else. Or my parents came through and they had this heart to heart. You know, there was always, or after that, I got into sobriety and, If I worked really, really hard, uh, I I would get these pats on the back professionally, but it was always for that paycheck and then for the accommodation from my peers and, and and my bosses and things. Going to the gym, lifting weights and like being really meticulous about it and seeing progress, that was all me. I was voluntarily exposing myself to this and... And I could get this immediate, clear feedback that I was doing a good job, you know, and after a long enough time, it really just created this feeling that I could trust myself, that I was an accountable person. And I'd spent so many years, both in active recovery, in active addiction and in my initial part of my recovery, where I just did not feel that way. (laughs) I was such a shame-filled guy because I did not trust myself. I did not like myself. I thought I was a liar, a cheater, uh, a, 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 a spineless kind of coward. And certainly I behaved in a way that would give, made those feelings justifiable. But I could, I could do something that really made all those feelings go away and I'd be like, no, I, I can count on myself because I'm doing this all on my own and I show up consistently and it's really tough but oh well you know and so that's to me that feeling of that feeling of like self-worth was and and it had nothing to do with abs or you know biceps it was it was honestly it was just knowing that i could do something consistently voluntarily this voluntary exposure to discomfort um it just made me feel so much better about myself you know
0: I uh, honestly like you, you know you're talking about you're just getting the abs. Yeah. You're uh, totally not in any attempt to be um objectifying. You you're No, built, no, Jeff, you're Jeff please. Like a, you're built like a mountain and it's it's almost so symmetrical, it's jarring, especially as a oh, woman. Thank you. <laughs> just the amount of consistency and work it takes to have the chiseled body that you have. I know you were talking before about being meticulous about it. I know that involves a very meticulous approach. Now for the dudes that are listening, that are like, bro, I, I want a body like that. And for the women that are like, Oh my God, I want to get rid of my stomach. What is the first approach somebody should take into being, and approaching, uh, um, you know, just looking better
1: naked. Yeah. Looking you know? better
0: naked. Like what is the meticulous approach needed to be taken in order to, to really start to look like the aerial shot of a uh, mountain range? Please answer.
1: I, <laughs> I really can't stress this enough. And there's so much debate within the world of fitness and nutrition. Oh my god, there's It's
0: exhausting. So like it, it you go and you're like, okay, I can eat avocado. And they're like, don't eat a- avocado. It's not good for your muscles. And it's just like, be a vegan. Don't be a vegan. Meat's going to kill you. It's, it is. I, I just want a burger and a milkshake. And I, and I want to lay in a ball for the rest of my fucking life.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's um, it is. It's so frustrating. And uh, this wealth of information can be so beautiful, but at the same time, it's just, it can be mind numbing for most people. And one thing though, amidst this world that is admittedly full of debate and all that one thing that everyone agrees on that has either the, the the biological technical evidence to back it up or the anecdotal is that diet is so much more disproportionately important than training that it's training's almost not even statistically significant of course it plays a role and everyone should exercise for their health and they but when it comes to looking better in the mirror Diet is so much more important. That when you say um,
0: diet, like
1: mm
0: -hmm. here, okay, let let's be specific because there's so much we could discuss. Right. What's for you? What works for you before working out, diet-wise, eating? Like, what are you eating? Are you not? Are you working out fasted, or is it better for you to have some fuel in the tank?
1: I like to. I like to feel light in my belly. I don't like to have heaviness. But I also don't like to train fully fasted, so typically it's like cold brew coffee, black, but with uh, some vanilla whey protein and uh, some some uh, sea salt in there. You know, to oh, make a like a bootleg meathead latte. <laughs> and uh, I usually chug that like half hour before I go to the gym.
0: That just coffee?
1: Yeah, but like I said, with with a little whey protein, you know, like twenty grams of protein.
0: Okay, so just a little a little just enough to get you going. Yeah. Okay. And
1: then if I if I'm going to do something really brutal, I will do exactly what I just said but instead of mixing it with water, I'll mix it with coconut water. Okay. I'll give myself a little sugar.
0: And what are you doing afterwards food-wise? Are you waiting to eat? Is there an optimal time because I I have heard within a half an hour is the most vital time to get the protein, amino acids right. replenished.
1: They say that. And I think that that's an old kind of foundational idea from like the 90s bodybuilding world. And I'm sure if you're for the exceptional of the world, I really do think that that probably is super important for fitness models, bodybuilders,
0: um, professional athletes that are going to train
1: numerous times a day. But for the average person, I really think that pre-workout, if you have enough amino acids flowing in your blood pre-workout, There's not, it's really nonsensical to think like it's super important to get this half hour window, you know?
0: Right. Because you can essentially be fulfilling and supplementing your protein throughout the day in different times and still benefit, get the repair you need in order to, you know, be able to get into the gym the next day.
1: Here's something. and, And it's like, it's just another thing to factor in that I don't want people to get all frustrated about because the reality is, is like this eat higher amounts of protein make a protein dominant diet find your caloric intake level stay with that and resistance train and do that for a long per- period of time that's it that's 99% of everything you need to know to get results now doing that is so, <laughs> <It's> so <hard. laughs> i'm not going to shit people Cons- be- bullshit people like
0: bro consistently it's yeah. I'm not claiming to be any sort of fitness model. I just love to work out. It's a meditative for me. I need it to level myself out, but it's, it's hard to do. And I'm somebody who I've learned that I benefit from, you know, strength training and resistance training is great, but because of where I'm at in my life, I'm really benefiting from like yoga and doing things that are a little bit more uh, about the mind body connection. And yeah. Less about you know maxing out at the end of a rep or something. Um, something else. It's I just so said. funny.
1: People people have like different personalities. Obviously, I mean, I just said something very very intriguing. The breaking news: people have different personalities. But people, <laughs> it, it's so funny how it plays out in different ways. And I've noticed like some people love to go jogging for you know or go running for marath- they run marathons or triathlons and they get a high from that.
0: And those people hate themselves.
1: <laughs> they, they just hate their ankles and their body. Their
0: toenails. Um,
1: some people like me, they, I love boxing and Muay Thai and lifting heavy, heavy weights and sprints, you know, running hill sprints. I, no one likes that. I love it. I love that feeling of like I can't breathe and I'm just like pushing harder. And I really recognize this to, to, to a pretty interesting degree that all of my friends in recovery – the ones that were into opiates and weed are all endurance athletes and they love it. That's
0: the ones
1: who are stimulant addicts like me all are like, look me to the gym, deadlift, 500 fucking pounds, let's go, warm up. They're all into like, you know, and like a, you see it very clearly in the world of MMA, like potheads and pill, pill boppers are all into jiu-jitsu jiu- and insane pokeheads and tweakers love like Muay Thai and stuff like like. There's, a, there's this carryover to like Persona. Very strange.
0: So are you working out in like a sober environment or is this, you know, is there like a community of you guys that sort of support each other when it cooks? I know yeah, when it sure. comes to I mean, being I, sober, you need your community, but when in the, in the fitness world, I wonder where those two overlap.
1: Uh, there's a huge level of overlap to the point that it becomes uh, again, unhealthy because you found this thing that gives you, And definitely an immediate high, you know, you get that feedback, that kind of like biological feedback of the endorphins, but also it's something that provides you community. It provides you, and it's so easy. And so oftentimes, um, you know, addicts take it too far. There's so many in, in like the fitness industry, but it's also
0: the addiction sort of approach.
1: Yeah, and it's only a matter of time before they start taking ephedrine. And that's only a matter of time before that leads to something else. And, you know, then you get into other performance enhancing drugs and it gets it gets, you know, there's a weird gray area. Um, but I like the, the recovery community in my life and the fitness community in my life don't have that much carryover anymore. There's not that much crossover anymore. It used to be very big. The Venn diagram really crossed over. But since I moved to Venice about 15 years ago, the recovery community here is mostly it's either it's the normie addicts and the homeless addicts and then how each deal with each other. And that's become most of like my world in recovery. Um, And the fitness world here in Venice is also, weird. like, it's mostly just gigantic jack meatheads or these girls who are so ripped, you're like, well, I don't even understand how that, how that happens. Um, So, like, there's been this pull apart from, like, those two worlds, but there definitely is crossover. And more so in in martial arts, like, especially jujitsu, there's so many jujitsu dudes that I train with that are... In recovery like so so many it's it's crazy
0: do you do you go to meetings still yeah how often do you go
1: i probably should go more but i i try to go three times a month
0: and for you do you does it depend on your mood when you're going to meetings if you want to talk or is it something that you do the same each time
1: no, it definitely varies. It varies between like the meeting. And I I hate to say it because there's so many amazing meetings here in Southern California, but there's also, you will always run the risk of celebrities being there. And I will say, obviously I won't name names. It's anonymous right there in the name. Um, but there are some fucking huge, big name celebrities that are actively involved in the recovery community here in LA that are very humble and don't at all make it their own red carpet alternatively there are a couple others that are notorious for doing that and it'll ruin your whole fucking
0: they show up and making like who like j-lo shows up in a mink jacket and has and and
1: (laughs) no but it's yeah exactly it's like the, the 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 like the arrival and then of course during the meeting the speaker will speak and then it's like all right guys anybody have anything to share and it's like that person shares four fucking times you know and I'm, sti- I'm sitting there looking at someone like picking at their scabs. I was like, let's talk to that guy. Like, we need to get to the bottom of what's going on with that poor fella.
0: Yeah, we're well, like, we we know why this person is in recovery. They can't yeah. even, they're they're bogarting the meeting right now, making sure that everybody knows. I just wonder, I just wonder who it is. I really want to know, but I don't want you to spill the beans because I respect the limitations when it comes to that. I just,
1: I would never even off the air. I just honestly not again. It's like, and they probably wouldn't care. It's just, obviously they wouldn't care. They
0: probably have an Instagram page dedicated to, but I think it is important to talk about recovery, especially, you know, I support, obviously females are a large part of my audience and my fan base. I, I also, have a large portion that are men now because of Rogan and everything. It's almost right down the line. So I think yeah. it's really important to have a conversation about addiction, a conversation about, you know, being a quintessential Los Angeles boy. Who's also really into health and fitness because those two worlds, I feel there's so many ways that men should exist in according to society standards that really have yeah. to just go out the fucking window. Cause they're not useful they're
1: not useful no no i agree one million percent where i will push back though is that there are some traditional uh not exclusively obviously but traditionally well-known established male traits that are getting kind of thrown out with the you know the baby is getting thrown out with the bath water and they're getting lumped in with toxic masculinity and like we shouldn't do this anymore and it's like no, no, I I th- actually think that's a pretty good idea for men to be raised to feel like that's important. You know?
0: I agree. I agree. I think yeah. it's such a um, give and take when it comes to the conversation of toxic masculinity, because for some reason, within a lot of these conversations, being masculine has become toxic. And I think that's right. more toxic than anything. I was raised by a very masculine man and he was amazing and he never objectified women and he raised women and raised respectful women so as someone who's a woman realizing yes women have gone through things myself i've experienced things from toxic men it's not fair to lump it you know that's where we get into like an umbrella term before you were talking about trauma you know needing a spectrum masculinity needs the spectrum too and, and within yeah. women, too, because we all embody a masculine and feminine side to us. And that's where it really gets, I think, frustrating for a lot of people is is and especially with men, which is kind of what my point was before. I feel like and it's changing now, but I feel like traditionally men have been raised to act a certain way. Act like a man has meant something very specific within a box. Same with women. And now we're realizing we don't need to be in a box and we can sort of exist as we want to exist and, and be who we want to be. For you, you know, yeah. having been an addict, um, you're, I mean, I would assume, is it correct to say you're always an addict, even though you're in recovery? I think so.
1: Yeah. I mean, I'm not one of those people who's married to, like, people are like, it's not a disease. That's not a real disease. You know, cancer is I, I, I was like, I don't care. I just, that's the way I look at it. I certainly don't feel like I'm cured. I just have a lot better control over the situation than I, than I used to, you know?
0: I think it's a very honest answer and probably very accurate for a lot of people who are listening who are also in the same scenario. Um, so as somebody who's an addict and, you know, obviously a, a man, a, a very masculine man, my question oh, is,
1: yeah.
0: how is having how has had how how has having a daughter changed you as a man
1: it's a very good question um
0: i almost couldn't well, ask it
1: <laughs> it made me you know. a lot more sensitive to women how so and a lot more sympathetic i think um i was raised essentially by women because my father my mom and my dad are still together they they're happily married but my dad traveled crazy amounts um and oftentimes would live in different parts of the world you know for extended periods of time like a month at a time he'd be gone
0: what did he do for work uh,
1: he was a he's a consultant for like one of these big multi-purpose business firms and he would have these uh clients like you know nissan and coca-cola and stuff like that and he would like run their books and so he would be in he'd be in like Korea working for Hyundai for like a two months and then come back and for a week and then be gone for you know in Nashville working for Nissan. So and I so I was essentially raised by my sister and my mom. And my sister really is a second mom because my sister's 11 years older than me.
0: Oh wow. So were you a, mis- my, when were I was, you a surprise? That <laughs> they're like <yeah>. Mikey's here.
1: <laughs> oh yes. Oh yes. Oh
0: the cutest little um, surprise.
1: <laughs> it's kind of hard to deny with that disparity in age. Um But, you know, so think about this. When I was five, she was 16. You know, so I kind of had these two really, but I will say, and I don't mean this as an insult. I'm just, this is, my mother and my sister are not very feminine to a fault. I mean, they, they are, they don't, they will not talk about their feelings. That's not open for debate. They're very closed off they're real. They're much more assertive than I am. You know, they're my sister, especially was, you know, she's much more prone to like yelling at someone who took their parking spot. If someone took my parking spot, I'd be like, Oh dude, I'd be like, you son of a gun. And I drive away. My sister, you're, you're, you're fucked. (laughs) If my sister, um, you so I didn't. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and I never got, um, So I never developed like this, this connection or understanding of like the feminine energy. Having my daughter made me so much more deeply kind of connected with that idea. And you want to know the craziest thing is that it kind of revivified some of my trauma to the point that I never recognized how similar it is to probably so many girls out there, so many women probably had the same type of sexual situation that I had losing my virginity. And it got, it really got me thinking. In fact, it was, it was Whitney Cummings who, uh, I don't remember where, it was, but she said all of my sex in the, tw- in my twenties, it was consensual. I just didn't want to do it. Mm. And what it really hit me because I was, I, my first experience was I was 13 and the girl was 19. And it was fully consensual, but I really didn't want to do it. And as yeah. soon as it was done, I was like, I really shouldn't have done that. No one was more pumped on getting laid than me at 30. I was all I could think about. But when it was happening, I was like, oh, this isn't right. This is something. And there we go.
0: There we go. We're back. You were saying there was something wrong while it was happening. It's, it's funny. It's yeah. like the universe is like, we can't let him talk about this. But you felt you you felt in the moment that there was something actively wrong and you weren't it it didn't feel right. I mean, it's like a gut feeling.
1: It did not. And uh, she was really pressuring me Mm. and not in a, a assault way, but just how I probably imagine I was at 19, 20, 21, where I was just like meeting that girl at the bar, you know, like the the hey, cake and I buy you a drink and that and she's like no I, I have a boyfriend like that didn't stop me like that pressure that's how she was and like I said I, I I went through with it in a totally consensual fashion there was never any sign or any any message of me pushing back but I was like I, I don't really want to do this and I had this like epiphany seeing that and and I got a new completely new sense of like appreciation and sympathy for a lot of what like girls talk about that is involved in the me too stuff that isn't rape or sexual assault because there is a fucking huge gray you know there's like 90 shades beyond that obviously there's no one in their right mind regardless of gender or anything that is like well assaulting someone is we should understand that that's part of the patriarchy but It doesn't stop there. You can't just be a guy and be like, I've never assaulted a girl in my life. I've never raped a girl. I would never think of it. Yeah, that's great. Of course, because you're a reasonable human. But there's a million other things where you might not even be aware that you're like imposing serious amounts of power on someone and they're giving into it, you know? And like having my daughter, I would never have felt that way if I didn't have a daughter, I don't think.
0: That's very interesting that you touch on that because it's something that I'm starting to discuss on stage how i talk Mm. how i think all girls are born prey we we come out vulnerable because of that Mm. aspect because there's such a wide range of assault on women from a very young age on and i could have four podcasts hour-long podcasts about all the things that i've experienced Going from the very low spectrum and and this even calling this low, you know, maybe like a verbal cat call, which honestly, I don't mind a little compliment in the street from a trash can. You know, it's been a slow it's been a slow quarantine all the (laughs) way to having been raped myself. The My introduction into sex was was rape by someone I trusted. So within that whole range, there are so many insults to your being that like you say, aren't really brought to attention because rape gets all the hype without sounding like an asshole. Rape is like the headliner. And so everyone, no one's really paying attention to the ass grabs or your boss having you put your hand on his hard dick while you're, you know, making salad for people in the restaurant that are right Jesus. beyond the window. Yeah. It, there's, in in and, and, and it, There's such an emotion around what Whitney's talking about uh, and around what you're saying about things being consensual, but you just don't want them. That's a form of abuse. And not that I'm consensually wanting to touch my boss's dick, but in the society now it's evolving, but growing up in the late eighties, early nineties, it was so different. It was so different. And you're, you're, you're deer in headlights and sometimes, you know, when it comes to traumatic things, there's fight, flight, or freeze. One of those drives the ship and often it's freeze where you're just especially like,
1: when you're, especially when you're young,
0: especially yeah. when you're young, you don't really have your sea legs in your own self-worth yet. You don't really have an understanding of limitations and boundaries and in, in, in respect. Not everybody. Some people do, but. For you to be a father and recognize this is so huge for your daughter. It is so so, so huge. Oh, it uh, it is. As someone who you know, whose parents did the best that they could, it was with what they had, and what they had at the time was a very minimal understanding of the way society works. And you, you, my friend, have an awareness that whether you realize it now or not is going to be the armor that gets your daughter through a lot of things that she's unfortunately gonna have to deal with. And Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, are, are, do you have her in in jujitsu yet is my question.
1: <laughs> we tried and she it, not I'm not thing. using these words. She was like, fuck that. She she's <laughs> uh she's very art she's very artsy. She likes loves, loves. I mean we we don't have to ask her to go do some like arts and crafts or you know like stay off the ipad she doesn't really do the ipad uh, oh, long great. trips and stuff she will but she she comes home from school without anybody saying she's like in her bedroom painting on stuff which is great because of the creativity but it also is like fucking horrible for a homeowner because like her, her old <laughs> roommate, it's always like little owls and stuff <laughs> yeah people yeah.
0: never talk about that like they should have homes when you when before you're buying a home it's just like the art room where they can destroy yeah. it and you can like fix it
1: <laughs> no and i i think that she's really turned on uh and i don't mean that in a very way she's really turned on by uh her mother and performing my my wife's an actor and uh we would never think to do like young hollywood stuff but she you could tell like she gets a real joy out of the idea of creating a performance and performing for people, you know, and getting, she, she always has felt, I think very drawn to it, watching my wife and stuff like that.
0: There's a, I saw a couple videos of her. She is such a natural when she's being recorded and she's so composed. She seems, and I don't know her, but this is my, you know, first impression. She seems very comfortable in her skin.
1: Yeah, I hope you're right. I hope you thank you. I think that's a great compliment and I, to my daughter, and I really hope so. I mean, that's all. I always said, like, I don't really care if she goes on to be something that in society's eyes is very amazing. I would love it if she becomes a congresswoman or if she becomes an astronaut or, you know, a, a CEO of a company and makes millions and millions of dollars. That would be awesome. But that doesn't really matter to me. I just want her to not look at herself in a negative way. Like, as long as that happens, as long as she's not a mean girl, uh, I'm good. I'm cool. You could be a high school dropout. Like I, It's all good. You know, I
0: think it's people
1: you generally horrible. think you're a nice person. They like being around you. We're we're good.
0: Fuck. Yeah, that's that's fuel that that can fuel so many of your relationships it can fuel you in life, just to be somewhat of a genuine, authentic, good person. Both my parents, that was their goal. You know, yeah. it, it. They never. You know, my dad taught me money grew on trees, and my mother told me to not chase money. So it was. It was a little conflicting. You know, they had their parental uh, approaches a little <laughs>
1: like this. Sometimes. I feel that. But I totally relate.
0: Being a good There's person. My still, mom,
1: the my on my Mexican, my mom's side, she grew up like destitute poor uh you know mexican family early 20th century she had six sisters and no money no money for a one child family and you know east la born and raised and when i got to be a grown man and had like a career and a life of my own uh she was like you need to buy a nicer car you need to Ends, you need a bigger house you should go spend and my father who grew up very middle class you know nothing exceptionally rich he was certainly but he never struggled he's always like you know save your money save your money save your money and I, it was you know my mom this this person who had been exposed to real poverty she, poverty she had this like famine mentality she's like you know listen you earn this money go fucking spend it <laughs> you know dad, my dad's like the
0: same way <laughs> our parents were reversed yeah, my mom. She grew up in a house of se- seven kids in a farm with a drunk dad who was never around. <laughs> so she was like, "Save your money." But my dad, I had a similar upbringing. My grandpa had two families at the same time, so it was always you never knew what was gonna, you know, who was gonna be home or when. And my dad was like, "Fuck it, life short, have fun, buy, buy yeah. the thing, <laughs> Can't buy take it with you." Well, we do have, we only have a little bit of time, but there, there's one question I want to get in before we go. Um, and then I want to ask you two things that I ask that I've been starting to ask my guests. Jay wicks too asks, I'm in recovery clean from cocaine for two years. I manage it with mushrooms and cannabis. Is this okay?
1: (laughs) It's really common. Um, but they call, uh, uh, marijuana maintenance. I think that's what like the, the industry, the recovery industry term, they call it because it's super common, especially now when we in a lot of States have it as legal. I, I, it's so hard with, with so many things in life, there's, there's no right or wrong answer. I, it's really inappropriate for me to even think that I can answer, you know, you're asking me, is it okay? I don't know. Is it okay for you? Ho- hope it's working out. All I can tell you is my experience, man. and i I never would think to uh, to even assume that like my way is the right way. you know yeah. i I have to avoid mushrooms and and even weed and everything because I just know I've been down that road. I was sober for like a year when I was twenty, and I was like, I'm fine, okay, I have a couple glasses of wine, dinner, people, my friends. And it was like two weeks before I was like in alleys looking for meth, you know? So I'm, I know I'm not that guy, but that doesn't mean that that guy and gal isn't out there. And I know that certainly psilocybin and, and cannabis has been really helpful to a lot of people's mental health. So it's like, you know, I hate to be a fence sitter, but I think, you know, the, the, this isn't like an objective idea, the idea of how someone deals with, with addiction. It's like, man, I'm, I'm a, by any means necessary guy, you know? If you want to come with me and go the twelve step route and want to go to meeting me, let's do it. I'm, in, I, I'll help you in any way I can, but I'm not going to sit here and say like this is the only way because it certainly isn't. You know,
0: it isn't, and it's almost like the way we approach addiction is similar to. It's changing now, which I've said so many times in this podcast, which is a good thing that we're evolving. But I feel like the approach to addiction in this country is very similar to our approach to education, where we're just trying to mass produce a result. And a resolution. And it doesn't work. We are individuals. We have individual chemistries. We come with individual traumas that are imprinted on us from our ancestors, our parents. We have all experiences that are individual to our own lives. So what's going to work for Mike Catherwood is not going to work for Jay Wicks. So we really do have to approach it in a individualized idea. And and that's why I'm excited about psilocybin being implemented into a healthy lifestyle. I microdose the better part of the week, probably four or five days a week. Very, very little dose. I'm not tripping out. I've never really had a full trip. Um, I use it as a medicine and I use marijuana as a medicine and I've used it through the entirety of my father's illness, through his death, through the struggles of pandemic and essentially losing my mother. Both marijuana and psilocybin have been extremely instrumental in my ability to level myself out, to go deeper, to be present. I mean, I started working out almost every single day, journaling, meditating every day, being grateful, being more present in everyone that's in my life, in their life. So where, you know, maybe somebody who is a um, official doctor, a psychiatrist would say, this is, it's not good for you. You can't, how? Yeah. On On what level? If if I'm not- well and also
1: any any mental health professional worth his or her salt will will be the first to admit that psychiatric work is it's not like chemistry and biology. It's kind of half art, half science, and you do gotta go with the flow. And any you know, I, I've right I've certainly seen that like with world world class psychiatrists will tell you the same thing. It's like you no one, there's no right answer. I mean, there <laughs> if isn't. there was, there, we wouldn't be in business. You know?
0: <laughs> There'd be one doctor. <laughs> so I think I think that's a great answer for you, Jay Wicks, and anybody else listening. Your recovery, while it's in your hands, is also dependent on you as an independent. And you you might have to get creative, but there's also people who need the 12-step and who need a little bit more of a meticulous Um, strict approach. So I think it's just finding what works for you and and where you're in that happy place where you're sober and and present and grateful. So I I wish you the best in your journey, brother. Um, And before we go, two questions. One, I asked to the dads, especially dads of girls, what's the hardest part about being a father to a girl?
1: Hardest part about being a father to a girl is... In my opinion, it is going too far overboard and wanting to protect her from things because you have this every parent is protective. Every parent wants what's best for um, uh, for their kid. But when you are that guy who kind of grew up idolizing John Wayne and Steve McQueen and stuff, you can get you can go overboard with that to the point that it stunts their growth. like. Children in general, women or or little boys, they need to be able to deal with adversity. And I, I definitely suffered from that. But just well, no, no adversity. No one talked back to her. No one say anything negative <laughs> to her. She's my little princess, you know. <laughs> I you know, and, and I had a boot camp. I had a boot camp on it because I had dealt with it with my wife. Um there I I you know, an agent or or a studio exec would say something degrading to her or make her upset and uh, i was like i'm gonna fucking drive over i'm gonna i'm gonna fucking break that guy's neck <laughs> and the reality is it's like she was at the time she's like a 35 year old woman i think she can deal with those things on her own you know it's i'm it's not my responsibility to to protect her of course in certain instances of course it's my responsibility but in life i think you got to find the balance of understanding that women definitely need to learn how to stick up for themselves just as much as a little boy does um, you just gotta, you gotta pick and choose, you know, like if I'm, I remember the Laker game before the pandemic, my wife and I, and some guy just fucking starts talking shit to her. I was like, dude, I'm, I'm like, I like, that's the point where I was like, I, do we, we have to go, like we have to, I have to beat you up. This is no, there's no fucking alternative. Um, Did but, you? uh, uh, no, the, the, I, his friend came over. Um, I grab he had like a, like a, like a not a members only, but like a military, like a bomber jacket on. And I just grabbed him off the inside of his collar. And I started pushing him and walking him back. I was like, I'm going to take you off and fuck you. And his friend ran over and he's like, dude, dude, uh, he's really drunk. He's like, like he, was, he was like 22 year old kid. Um, and uh, I was like, all right. I was like, well, yeah, I, for no reason. He's st- telling my wife, she's a stupid bitch and stuff. So he, he... anyway, that's a great situation where I was like, I found the balance and I'm going to fucking stick up for her. But a, a casting agent hurting her feelings it's like it's not my responsibility to go and seek vengeance she's a she's a grow up and and deal with it on her own, and I have to apply that to my daughter and I'm so conscious of that because, like I said, you want to keep your she's your precious little princess and you don't ever want it to go sour but uh she's if she wants to be a fully developed well you know fully realized person, you gotta let her do it you know
0: you do, and it's wild. I also talk about how we're raising our daughters and we're being too protective in my set. So it's, it's reassuring to hear a father say that the thing that I'm thinking as a person on this side, without kids only of having, having a female experience. So it is validating to hear that. Um, I guess the last thing I want to know before I let you go do some squats, some, uh, I saw the angled squats, which look really difficult where you sit your hamstrings on the back of your calves. Very difficult. Real nice. What, What do you want to say to people out there who are struggling with their sobriety? And what do you want to say? Maybe, you know, if it's something you would say to your younger self or to somebody who is in that place where they maybe have hit rock bottom.
1: I will say this. That no matter how bleak your situation may be, no matter what your image of yourself is. And it's almost utterly impossible to even hear these words when you're in that despondency. Uh, But there truly is somewhere out there in the world where you will be able to find happiness and that, although people in your life at this moment may not be anything but pain, the reality is, is that humanity is pretty awesome and pretty loving. And you just got to, unfortunately, the, the the that's the way the cookie crumbles in that some of us grow up in a world where we don't get exposed to that. But the reality is, is that if you look at humanity as, a, as an actual entity, as one big lump unit, it's actually pretty awesome. And the media and society as a whole does a very good job of distilling it down to just the to one point something percent of times when there's warfare and atrocities and, and, and 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 racism and discrimination and we are force fed this stuff because it it's much better for ratings but that's not reality reality is that we're very social very loving creatures the homo sapien and that uh somewhere out there there is that place for you. I was the biggest piece of shit in the world to the point that if I, like, I thought if I can just make it through my teens to my twenties and not have like felonies and stuff, uh, I can get a union construction gig and I'll be, I'll be all fine. I'll just drink myself to death. And that's what, and, and I never envisioned that I would have a family and happy, sustained happiness, and look forward to getting up in the morning. <laughs> but it it's here, and it was just a matter of kind of um, never, never, ever. Not to sound too cliche, but never giving up. That you know, Joan Rivers said, "You just got to keep dancing even if the music stops," and that's the truth. You just got. There's just no reason to ever uh, to ever give in and give up because whoever you are, boring like a good 0.01% of you. They're just, you know, pedophiles and shit. Like total pieces of shit.
0: shit. Total pieces of shit. They're, they're, they're psychopaths (laughs) are
1: born. Yeah. Psychopaths are born. That happens. Okay. I understand. But no matter who you are, you're, you're worth it and you can do it. That, you know, I just, I never in a million, if you were to tell 20 year old me, you're going to be sober for 19 years and you'll be this old person with like life and, and family. I'd be like, no, it's just not possible. I, that's not for me. I was always told, you're the cut up, you're the class clown, you're a fucking loser. Uh, and so I believed it, but that's not reality. You are worth it and you can do it. That's because so I beautiful. did it. I'm an idiot. It's so
0: beautiful. <laughs> Mikey Likes You is the podcast. Where else can they find you? What else? Do you have anything else you want them to know about?
1: I'm working on a lot of stuff, but as you know, Jessime Peluso until I cash a check, I'm not even going to really think about promoting it.
0: Got it. Uh so, enough, I'm there too. <laughs> I do the same thing. <laughs>
1: my, my podcast.
0: Mikey please, likes you, right? You. Yes. And check him out on Instagram, at Mike Catherwood. Mm-hmm. If you are a fella who is entering recovery, thinking about recovery, there's a lot of great fitness tips. And if you're a woman or a vicarious or somebody who's interested in men in general, there's a lot of eye candy. Let's just call it what it is
1: yes thank I'm you gonna, so much i get a little thirsty on there huh i understand
0: yeah but you know what you the underneath the thirst is a great message so thank you drink up america and beyond <laughs> thank you it was for a really really
1: enjoyable conversation thank you for having me
0: thank you mr butthair mcdick McDicknose. <laughs>